Do we have any nice millennials here today? I see, I see several millennials. I think you're a nice millennial. Very good. That's good. So, uh, hey, about tonight, uh, the, the uh, prayer gathering, uh, we have a monthly prayer night. It's a very simple time. We, we, we gather simply to pray. And we know that 5.30 on Sunday afternoon doesn't work for many of you. But if it might work for you, I would encourage you to just take 30 seconds with God and say, God, is this something maybe you'd like me to come to? And if so, uh, come join us. Uh, we're simply going to pray. Well, I want to begin this morning by giving you some kind of insider information on our approach to teaching here at Faith, okay? So when we teach the scriptures on Sunday morning or any other time, uh, we come with the presupposition that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is your deepest desire to understand and receive and live out God's word, Okay, we come with that, that presupposition. Uh, in Romans 7, Paul said, I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner being. We believe if you're a, G you're a follower of Christ that you can say that as well. Your deepest desire when you hear the word and when you, you uh, receive the word, your, your deepest desire is to obey it and to embody it. So when you hear the word internally, you say, yes, that's right. That's what I want. And so the good news for me is I never have to stand up here and think, I'm going to try to get these people to do things that they really, really do not want to do. Somehow I have to convince them in the depths of their being to do what they don't want to do. Actually, I come up here with the opposite thought. I'm preaching to people who, who desperately want to understand God's Word. And in the deepest part of their being, they're saying, yes, I want to embody what we're talking about here today. And so it doesn't mean it'll always be simple. Sometimes it's rather complex to understand and then apply certain scriptures. It doesn't mean that it's always easy. Many times it will be the most difficult thing you do to live out the scriptures because you actually have to change. Very few people intentionally change anything about their lives. And it doesn't mean that you won't have resistance. Sometimes there's, for a variety of reasons, we resist God's word. But deep down, you want to understand and live out God's word. So what does that mean for us today? Well, today we're looking at Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. And in this passage, uh, Paul commends the servanthood of two men, uh, Epaphroditus and Timothy. And so I teach this morning with the deep conviction that if you're a follower of Christ, you really, really want to understand and embody the type of servanthood we're talking about here today. Deep down, deep down you would agree, servanthood is far superior to selfishness. And so I want to pray, and I want us to invite the Holy Spirit to impress upon us the things that we need to, to, to know and to embody. So please join me. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name, and we come with no confidence of our own, but rather we come very confident in who you are, as we've just sung about, and we've just, just uh, confessed with our mouths, uh, your mercy is so much greater than our sin. And God, you relentlessly pursue us. 
And God, some of us here today uh, already serve in, in sacrificial and some in very heroic ways. Others of us here today have never really considered the possibility that we would be servants of the Most High God and that we would be the type of people that would have an extraordinary impact in the life of, lives of others. And so we bring ourselves before you and we invite you to teach us. We ask you to open our eyes. We ask you uh, Heavenly Father, you, Jesus, our Lord, you, Holy Spirit, who indwells us, uh, we ask you to do this work in our midst. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. So the two portraits of servanthood we're going to look at today uh, are really examples of qualities that Paul has already urged upon the Philippians earlier in chapter 2. The first First, consider Timothy, and he is a portrait of humble servanthood, humble servanthood. Timothy was probably a teenager, and we've got some teenagers here, he was probably a teenager when he came to Christ and when he started traveling across the known world with Paul. And from the things we know that Paul wrote to Timothy and the things he wrote about Timothy, Timothy was a, a rather sensitive soul. He was rather easily deflated. But Timothy did not use his personality as an excuse. Timothy, in spite of kind of this natural timidity, he traveled with Paul in dangerous, dangerous places. He did the will of God from the heart. And, and actually, the, the book of martyrs, Fox's book, book of martyrs, tells us that Timothy was uh, eventually stoned to death by an angry mob outside of Ephesus because he publicly denounced the idolatry he saw in that city, Okay. And so Paul doesn't use the term humility when writing to Timothy, but the description of Timothy is very clearly, uh, he's saying that Timothy uh, embodies the humility he wrote, out, wrote about earlier in chapter 2. We begin in verse 19. <clears throat> Paul writes, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So Paul wanted to be encouraged by a first-hand account of the, the Philippians' uh, spiritual uh, health. And in verse 20, Paul explains why Timothy was just the right person to send to visit them and then bring back this report. And striking what he writes, he says, "'For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare.'" When you think about it, I think you'll agree, not everybody has the capacity and the desire to go to a whole nother city, a whole nother culture, and actually care about those people on a heart level. Uh, many, many people care about themselves and about me and mine. And that's right. Th that is good. You should care about you and yours. Uh, but it's quite rare to find somebody who genuinely con is concerned about the welfare of others. Timothy was this, this exception. Just like Paul, he was genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. And then in verse 21, Paul gives a rather sober evaluation of the believers around him. He says, for they, meaning everybody besides Timothy, for they, they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. And so his sense was that the vast majority of believers that he knew lacked the humility that he had described earlier in chapter 2. There's a verbal connection between verse 21 and verse 4. Back in verse 4, Philippians 2, 4, Paul challenged the Philippians this way, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, 
but also for the interests of others. That's the attitude of humility. That's the attitude of Jesus Christ. In verse 21, Paul is saying that the other Christians around him lacked such humility. They lacked this other focus. They may have been, quote unquote, good Christians in a lot of different ways, uh, but they all seek after their own interests. And then he adds, and not those of Christ's Christ. And so if you find a person that seeks only about their own interests, they're only concerned about themselves, they're not seeking the interests of Christ. Or stated positively, when you find someone who seeks after the interests of others, you have found someone who seeks after the interests of Christ. Christ is the ultimate example of not merely looking out for your own personal interest but also the interests of others. And so you and I are Christ-like when we have a genuine concern for others. Paul appeals to the Philippians' own knowledge of Timothy, beginning in verse 22. He says, but you know of his proven worth, that he served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. And so Timothy had, had accompanied Paul previously to Philippi, and the Philippians had seen how valuable Paul, uh, Timothy had been to Paul. He had proven his worth. Timothy was like a son to Paul in sharing the gospel. And so Paul says, therefore, I'm going to send him to you so that he'll bring back a report, and then I hope to show up shortly thereafter. And so the bottom line is that Paul had multiplied his life in Timothy. Timothy had learned from Paul how to pour out his life as a drink offering. Timothy also had a shepherd's heart. And so Paul could send Timothy to the Philippians knowing that through his his humble servanthood, Timothy would address the needs that the Philippians had. I don't need to tell you this, but we need Timothy's in our day. We need many Timothys. We need Timothys in the church and outside the church. Uh, Think about inside the church first. There's a crying need here at Faith for people who don't merely look out for their own interests. And we should all look out for me and mine, okay, again? But but there's a crying need for people who go beyond themselves and look out for the personal needs of others, showing the interests of Christ, ultimately the interests of Christ. Humble servanthood is God's design in the body of Christ. He has made us interdependent in this way. And so I want you to think for, for a few moments about your, your commitment uh, within the body of Christ. Who are the people, again, beyond your immediate family or maybe your immediate closest friends, who are the people in the body of Christ Uh, who would say about you, you know, when I think about him, when I think about her, boy, what, what is so obvious is that they genuinely care about me. They encourage me by their prayers, by their words. They take the initiative. I don't have to beg them, please help me here. They notice and they help me and they serve me in tangible ways. Uh, who, who are the people in the body of Christ that would say that about you. And uh, my encouragement is to identify a small group of people, uh, 
to serve in this way. Uh, it could be your life group. It could be a group of, of believers that you meet with regularly. It could be a, a ministry team. Maybe you serve on the worship team or the welcome team or you serve in the next-gen ministry and you're around a smaller group of, of, of people. And uh, my encouragement is to intentionally show them humble servanthood. And I know firsthand how powerful this is. There, there is a group of people in my life uh, who genuinely look out for my personal interest. I mean, they pray for me. I mean, really pray for me. And they encourage me with words. And they take initiative, encourage me with, with actions. And that should not be the rare exception in the body of Christ because it is powerful. And I know as I look around this room, some of you are those people and some of you have this, this capacity. If you've never tried this, try it. See how, how God can use you in the lives of others. So it's important in the body of Christ. I would also say that, that humble servanthood is one of the main ways that we represent Christ outside the body of Christ. Uh, in, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in various organizations and teams that we're a part of, humility and servanthood are striking. It, it is a striking thing when others experience genuine, humble servanthood. Uh, Patrick Lencioni wrote this, this book. It's one of these fable books, and uh, it's called The Ideal Team Player. And he says, if you want to be a, a great team member, a team player, you need three things. And you need all three of these things, not just one, not just two of them. You need all three of these things. And the way he frames it up, you need to be humble, hungry, and smart. And smart, we'll take them in, in reverse order. Smart doesn't mean just that you're book smart, that you know a lot of things, that you can talk. Smart means that you really, you're, means people smart. You really understand the impact of your attitude, your words, your actions on other people. You're not, the, you're not the bull in the china shop. You're not oblivious. I had no idea how offensive I was to you. No, you're smart. You're people smart. So you're smart. You're also hungry, which means uh, you are eager to give. You're eager to serve the, the purposes of the team. So you're not the person that says, I'm just going to do the bare minimum so I don't get fired. I'm just going to look out for the things that I'm directly responsible for. No, you see a need and you say, no, I'm eager. I'm actually hungry to, to help out in this way. So you're, you're smart, you're hungry. And then humble means just what we've been talking about today. You don't merely look out for your own interest. Your eyes are off of yourself and you look out, actively look out for the interests of others. Most of us here today are part of a team or uh, a, 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 you have coworkers, or maybe you're in a, a club or, or some board you serve on and you have the opportunity to show humble servanthood. And uh, what would your teammates, what would your coworkers say about you? Would they say, yeah, he pretty much just only pays attention to himself. That's really all he or she cares about. Or would they say about you, you know, I can't quite put my finger on it, but they're kind of awake and they're kind of alert and they notice things and they take a personal interest in me. And they have this, I get this sense, they have this desire to actually help me and serve me. I would tell you, if you are that person, if you are humble in that way and you're willing to serve, 
uh, it will be a striking thing. And chances are that that will, be an, uh, will provide an opportunity to serve and represent Christ in other ways. That's the type of person that other people actually trust, that other people can receive from. And so humble servanthood, uh, I commend it to you from Jesus to Paul to Timothy to many people that I see in this room. In verses 25 through 30, Paul gives us another portrait of servanthood. And Epaphroditus is really a portrait of sacrificial servanthood. That's what Paul emphasizes about him. Uh, Epaphroditus, he, he was willing to sacrifice like very few people. And Paul uses five terms here to describe Epaphroditus, and they give us a pretty good picture of his character. And uh, rapid fire in verse 25, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. He's also your messenger and your minister to my need. And so very quickly, one at a time, he calls him my brother. That was an affectionate term. Epaphroditus and Paul, they had the same father, heavenly father, so they were brothers. Uh, my fellow worker expresses that Epaphroditus had this commitment, just like Paul did, uh, the same work of the gospel. My fellow soldier, that, that emphasizes his commitment to the gospel, his commitment to face opposition, his commitment to suffer for Christ. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul challenged Timothy. He said, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Epaphroditus exemplified somebody who was willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. And then the last two terms give us some clues as to, to Epaphroditus' identity and his role in, 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 uh, in Philippi. He calls him your messenger. It's actually the word apostle. He says, Epaphroditus, he was your apostle to me. You sent him to me to meet my, my needs. And then the fifth term, he says Epaphroditus had been sent as a minister to Paul's needs. And so the Philippian church, when you read Philippians, they had this extraordinary commitment to Paul. They prayed for him, they gave financially, and they even sent people to encourage Paul when he was in prison. And so Epaphroditus, we learn in chapter 4, he had carried the Philippians' latest gift. And being in prison, Paul would have been greatly encouraged by this apostle, this minister, this like-minded brother at his side. And so the time had come for Paul to send Epaphroditus back to them. In the beginning of verse 26, he explains why. Paul says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, verse 26, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on, upon me, lest I, be, lest I should have uh, sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you." And we have to kind of read between the lines here, but it was clear that, that after, Paul, after the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to them, he became gravely ill, uh, so ill that Paul thought he might die. And when the Philippians heard that Epaphroditus, again, uh, word didn't travel very fast back then, okay? They didn't have these split second communication, but somehow they found 
Epaphroditus is countries away, and he's, he's very sick. And uh, Epaphroditus was so distressed that they thought he was about to die that he said, I've got to get back to him. I've got to, I've got to return. I've got to let him know that I'm okay. And so Paul thought it best to send him back home to re- relieve the Philippians' concern. And then in verses 29 and 30, it describes how the Philippians should receive Epaphroditus. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Why? Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. And so like Jesus and like Paul before him, Epaphroditus was willing to be obedient to the point of death if necessary. And so if representing the Philippians meant losing his life in another country, in another culture, Epaphroditus said, so be it. That's, that's the degree to which I will be obedient. Now, it's interesting how Paul described his ministry as completing what was deficient in your service to me. And so they owed him a debt. They had this obligation. We can't be sure if it was to Paul directly probably, but, but definitely an obligation to the gospel. And uh, Paul viewed Epaphroditus' ministry as fulfillment of the deficiency. You've paid your debt in full by sending him to me. And so because Epaphroditus so willingly fulfilled this ministry, Paul told the Philippians, receive him back in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him, hold people like him uh, in high esteem. His sacrificial servanthood was to be valued and honored within the congregation. And so how do we begin to engage this type of servanthood, this type of sacrificial servanthood? Well, one of the good, uh, one of, the, one of the, the joyful things I can announce today is that we have many people in our midst who pour out their lives sacrificially. They give time, they give energy, and this is some of you again in the room. You give time and energy. You pour out your life, your lives on behalf of other people. Again, like Timothy before him has mentioned before, you don't merely look out for yourselves. You see a need and you say, I have this, I have this ability to meet the need. And so I'm going to expend myself. I'm going to pour out my life on behalf of other people. But perhaps you've never considered that you have anything to offer others, especially sacrificially. I know that's the case. You say, yeah, I get the idea I'm supposed to serve others, but what do I have to offer other people given my circumstances, given my life, my temperament? Well, uh, I think the place to begin is to consider how God has made you and how God is remaking you in the image of Christ, okay? Okay. I had never heard the name of Jillian Lynn before I read this book, Whispers, by Mark Batterson. Uh, perhaps, does anybody here know the name Jillian Lynn? Any ballet aficionado? I'm going to tell you everything I know about ballet in about two minutes here. But uh, apparently she's a very accomplished uh, ballerina and choreographer. She's part of the brains behind Cats 
and Phantom of the Opera. But what's especially interesting is how it all began. When she was eight years old, she, she was in school. She was born and raised in England. And her teachers really thought she had a learning disability because she could not sit still in class. And she was so fidgety that her parents decided, we need, to, we need to get her to a specialist to see what the deal is. And uh, I want to read Batterson's account of what happened at that very first doctor's appointment. 20 minutes into the conversation, the doctor asked Jillian's mother for a word in private. As they left the counseling room, he turned on the radio and told Mrs. Lynn to watch. Uh, Jillian immediately got up and started moving to the music. And the discerning doctor said, (laughs) this is is great. She said, Mrs. Lynn, Jillian isn't sick. She's a dancer. Take her to dance school. (laughs) I love that. She's not sick. She's a dancer. And that's what Jillian's mother did. Uh, Jillian writes later, I can't tell you how wonderful it was. We walked into this room, and it was full of people like me, people who could not sit still, people who had to move to think. It's almost as if Jillian was reborn. And although eight decades have come and gone, the desire to dance is still the driving force in her life. I love that. Once she understood, I'm a dancer, she had great freedom and great energy. And I would say something similar is true for you when it comes to sacrificial servanthood. When you understand who God has made you to be, there will be great freedom and you will have great energy. You'll stop saying, well, I need to fit in this box. I need to serve exactly like whoever you tend to admire or whoever you tend to want to be like. And you'll say, this is who God has made me to be, and so I'm going to serve him sacrificially in this way. And so I would say, I, want to, I would say a couple of things. If you're a believer, first of all, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has given you specific gifts. And I think we, we like the idea of, of spiritual gifts, uh, but we tend to minimize the importance. God has given you a specific aptitude, a specific... Uh, a desire and aptitude to do specific things. For example, I know people who have the gift of mercy, and they would tell you, I just love being with people who are desperate, people who, who can barely believe that God loves them. And when they show mercy to people, those people experience the mercy of Jesus himself. And so we're the body of Christ. We actually do the things and show people the things that Jesus would do and show them if he were personally present, which he is. And so what are your spiritual, what are your spiritual gifts? I would encourage you to begin serving sacrificially in your area of gifting. And so, and I would also say, you don't need an official position to use your spiritual gifts. I teach as much during the week in conversations as I do on Sunday morning. And so you don't need a position to teach if you're gifted in teaching or administrating or leadership or encouragement or all these different things. And if you don't know what your gifting is, I'd encourage you to do something very simple. Ask two or three people that really know you. Ask them, what am I good at? 
what do you notice about my life? How does God tend, tend to use me? And chances are they'll say, oh, yeah. And it'll be very consistent if these people, oh, yeah, obviously, this is what you're good at. And it will be a great encouragement. So focus on that. There's specialization in the body of Christ. Be who you are, not who you ain't, as the saying goes. So pay attention to your gifting and then pay attention to your experiences, especially your experiences with pain, okay? Where you've experienced pain is one of the areas where God will use you the deepest. And so if you've experienced loss in some area of your life, uh, the death of a loved one, uh, a divorce, uh, the loss of health through accident or injury or disease, uh, chances are you know what other people who have experienced that type of loss need, and you know what they don't need. You're wise. If you have been refined and, and you have been deepened through your loss, God can use you in the lives of others who've experienced loss. Your experience equips you to enter into their lives in sacrificial ways to help them experience God more fully. And chances are you will have the desire and the willingness to sacrifice. And so the good news, if you hear anything here, this is your deepest desire. And so pay attention to what God has done, what he's doing in your life. Chances are that's how God wants to use you as a sacrificial servant. And I'll just close by saying that humble sacrificial servanthood should be the norm in the body of Christ, not the rare exception. If we are truly disciples, if we are truly apprenticed to Jesus, now we have experienced his humble, sacrificial servanthood. And we find our greatest joy in showing the same to other people. May it be so. May it be so by the grace of God. Heavenly Father, we invite you to do this work in our lives, individually and as a body. We pray, God, that you would take us, some of us, to a place of, of uh, willingness and desire to sacrifice and to humble ourselves and look out for the needs of others and serve them in everyday life. And God, for the person here today who can't imagine that you would use him or her in another person's life, I pray that you would open their eyes and show them that you are able, that you are willing, that this is something that you, you love to do. God, give us the ability to risk it. Uh, give us discernment. Give us wisdom. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.